The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, brought to you by Narcanon Suncoast. Hello, Jason. Let's try this again. Hello, Joni. <laughs> we're back from technical glitches, but that's okay. That's the name of the game of what we're doing. Exactly. And this is episode number 26, which as I said I, before. I can't believe we've been doing it you know, this long. It's like flown by. But hopefully we've helped people have a conversation about addiction that they might not have ordinarily had if it weren't for them listening to us. That's exactly what I'm hoping. And I like that we highlight different groups. I have someone that we're going to interview in the next few weeks from drugfreeworld.org. We talked about that one. And I also have scheduled an interview on October 30th with Amy Ronhausen, who is with Drug Free America. Very cool. And has another organization which name escapes me at the moment, but they are she sent me she sent me some very interesting slides that I will send you, PowerPoint slides okay. um regarding marijuana. And um you know, we've talked many times about how yeah, it's definitely a gateway drug. So I'm going to send you those slides so we can talk about those. Absolutely. You know, it just brings up I know I, ta- I think we talked about it in the past. I, I wrote this blog that was called Should We Legalize All Drugs? Right. And that has caused a complete stir really on the internet Ooh. because you've got two different sides to this. Mm-hmm. Now, me personally, I don't think legalizing all drugs is a solution. Right. That's my stance. However, I think I might have been slightly ambiguous about my point of view on this blog, <laughs> and people are going crazy talking about it. There's people arguing back and forth, and I was like, okay, everyone needs to like calm down. It's going to be okay. Because I cited, I cited um, the fact that Portugal had right. decriminalized everything, and it just so happened that their, that their statistics as far as drug use dropped at the same time. As a disclaimer, I don't know how they got those statistics. I don't right. I don't know how they measured anything. And so this is my public forum, so I'm gonna publicly state that I am not for the legalization of all drugs. I'm not for the legalization of any drugs that cause society problems, period. That's right. not the solution. The solution is in treatment and rehabilitation and, and education. And education and getting to the root of everything. But anyway, so I wrote this blog and I get a call from the uh, mother organization to Narcanon and they're like, what did you do? I was like, what what do you mean? And they were saying, they were like, we got to like, we got to change a couple things on here because I went and looked on it. There are probably two or 300 comments and conversations going on beneath this blog that's on Facebook. And, um, I like to cause controversy, but like, I think I've like gone above and beyond what I normally do because you, all these people just, Stating their point of views and arguing, but he, but it brings something valid. Right. It's that a lot of a lot of people out there, a lot of us, don't know what to do right. about this because we keep fighting this epidemic, but it keeps growing. And so people take these radical viewpoints and like, well, we should just like legalize everything and regulate everything, and that way it'll be fine. I'm sorry, I don't want to walk down the street and pass a crack cocaine store, a meth store, a weed store. And a heroin store. I don't want to do that. And I don't think there should be like a Walmart for drugs. That's what it would turn into. Right. Right. It, it, it goes cuckoo, especially in this country, because America is the land of we like it bigger, stronger, faster and better. Right. Um, and so I think that's part of our drug problem. It's a societal thing. Yes. We as a society don't want to face anything, don't want to confront anything. We'd like our problems to just like go by the wayside. And if we're too numb to deal with them, that's like our ideal state for 
you know, certain people. Right. And that's why I think we're the most drug addicted society. Yep. And it used to be that you, the United States was like the most progressive nation out there. And it's like, we should model the world after what the U S is doing and their democracy is great. And, and their societal values are great and their norms are great and their customs are great and all this stuff. And now there's people across the pond. They're scratching their head, looking at us like what's wrong with them. Exactly. And right. so it's a crazy thing. And, um, you know, we've been doing this podcast and I'm not saying it's a direct correlation. However, it is a correlation because there's more and more people coming to Narcanon now and more and more people are becoming aware of their own issues and what they and what they can do to, to handle it. Right. And so today is one of those special treats I like to bring and I like to bring a graduate from the program onto the podcast to discuss their story. I love it. And who do we have today? Today we have Christian. Okay. Uh, he graduated last week, okay. and he is also staying to do the staff training program. Awesome. And so I wanted to bring him on, have a little discussion with you, and you know, tell a story, and hopefully it'll inspire others to get help for their loved ones or for themselves. Sounds good. Hello, Christian. Hello. Thank you for being on the podcast today. You're welcome. Awesome. So you're going to stay, and you're going to work at Narconon Suncoast? Yeah, you know, I wanted to stay. Um, I'd been to multiple treatment centers, and Narconon really was like the first one that worked for me. So I want to stay and kind of give back to the program. That's awesome. So tell me, this is how we usually start the interview. How did you get started on drugs? Um, I started fairly young. You know, I was probably around like 11 years old and I got prescribed um, medication through a psychiatrist, therapist. I was on Adderall and Valium. and Both from, at the same time? Yeah, at the same time. One to slow you down and one to pick you back yeah, up again. Yeah, you know, they gave me one to help with my so-called attention deficit disorder. Mm-hmm. And then the other one was to help because I wasn't sleeping because of all the Adderall I was taking during the day. So... With that, as I got as I got a little bit older, maybe around 12, 13, I started with uh, marijuana. I started to smoke weed. And from there, just progressed. You know, I started to abuse the prescription medication I was on. And then around maybe 15 or 16, I got into heroin. And from there on, it just got worse. You know, I went to multiple treatment centers. I went to jail. And the heroin was really what, what, uh, what brought me to my rock bottom. Okay. That's that's your story in a nutshell. We're all done. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not, I'm not letting you off the hook yet. Okay. So you kind of started off with drugs that were prescribed. So the assumption there is that they're okay because they're prescribed by a quote unquote doctor. And I do put that in quotations. Yeah. And you know, you when you're getting um, a pill from the nurse at school or you're getting a pill from your parents in the morning, you don't really look at it as a drug. I mean, especially for me, like initially, I just took it because I was misbehaving in school and I was told that this would fix everything and I would be better. So at first, I really didn't think of it like it was something wrong. Um, Around maybe like 12 years old, people at school would tell me, hey, like you can actually take this stuff and take more than you're supposed to and it'll make you feel good. These were friends? Friends and just people at school. Yeah. And and I so I tried it, you know, and at first I liked it, you know, And, and after a while, it just it doesn't really work. You can take a lot, but when you're on prescription medication like that, especially at a young age, your body just gets used to it. Right. And that's when uh, like smoking marijuana came into play because it was something different. It also made me feel good. And I had a bunch of friends who were doing it, and it just seemed like something cool that I, that I could get into. So that's how you started on marijuana? You had friends that were doing it? Yeah, I had friends that were doing it, and um, I had easy access to it, you know. 
and it was uh it was kind of accepted in my family you know my my brother smoked my mom smoked my dad smoked so it was like something i had seen before i just never really gotten into so from marijuana where did it progress from there um from there it's it's kind of an interesting story i um so my my mom and dad they got divorced and i moved in with my dad at the age of 14 and up until then i had just really experienced like some prescription drugs marijuana and alcohol and at this point, my dad had been struggling with addiction most of his life with uh, cocaine, alcohol, heroin. He had been to rehab multiple times when I was when I was throughout my teenage years, and even up until this point, you know, he he just he just went to Narcanon not too long ago, and that's how I found out about the program. Okay. So, what happened was is he was on a lot of prescription opiates, and I I he was okay with me smoking weed. Um, he, he accepted it. You know, he didn't, he didn't get me in trouble for it because he figured as long as that's what I was doing and it was at the house, it was okay. So eventually, um, I would go, I, I started going to him and asking for money for pot. And I remember at one point he didn't have any extra cash he could give me. So he started to give me the opiate pain pills and he said, you can trade them. You can sell, you know what I mean? This, you can use these almost like to barter with your friends. Wow. And I started to take them myself. Yeah, why barter? I'll just take them instead. And that's when I realized that I liked opiates a lot more than I liked weed, you know? And okay. from there, it became harder and harder to get opiate-based pain pills. Okay. And my, um, I think it was in 2012, um, my dad went to rehab, and I also went to rehab that year. Um, they were both 12-step programs. Okay. And when I got out, there was it was really hard to find opiate based pain pills and my father was off all his prescriptions so we we couldn't get them anymore and that's when i while looking for them i went to a friend and he told me that heroin was pretty much the same thing and i didn't have to inject it i could just snort it so i figured you know if it's the same thing i'll try it i tried that and i immediately knew that that's what i'd be doing you know Understood. Now, was that in Florida? That was in New York, actually. New York. Okay. I asked because I know there was a whole push, oh, I don't know, probably about five or six years ago to really shut down the pill mills in Florida. So I Mm -hmm. have an idea that getting access to opioids or painkillers in Florida became harder as well. So it might be the same type of thing. And it was like the same all over, you know, in in New York, it was just around that time, it it became like significantly more difficult to find any kind of pain medication, especially like on the streets. And even people who were getting it prescribed, they were, they were really like cutting down on the amounts they were prescribing and who was getting what you had to take like monthly drug tests to maintain your prescription. So it it just became really difficult for anybody to find them. And at that point I, I knew, numerous people that had gone from opiate-based painkillers like Percocet and Oxycontin to using heroin because it was so much cheaper and more accessible. I got it. So you started by snorting heroin. Did you ever move to shooting it up? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Does that happen fairly rapidly? Yeah. In the... Once, yeah. (laughs) Sequence in the process, I guess you would say? It it happened fairly quick. You know, my brother, uh, I have a twin brother, he was also using, and he... He started injecting it, and after maybe like a couple weeks of watching him inject it, I realized he could use half the amount I was using, and he was having double the effect. So 
I mean, at first I was like, I would never do that. I don't, I don't, I don't want to be that guy that uses needles. But eventually, you know, it gets to the point where you're sick and you only have a little bit of stuff left. And it, and I, that's what happened. You know, I, I figured I only have a little bit. I'm just going to shoot it up this once and I won't do it again. And I shot it up that one time. And that was, that was it. I just, from that point forward, I just, that was the only way I did it. Got it. And tell me again how old you were when you first shot up. When I first shot up, I was 17 years old. Wow. Mm-hmm. And this was in New York. Now, in New York, yeah. Is your brother still an addict? Um, my brother has been on Suboxone maintenance for oh. quite some time. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's got another drug. Yeah, he's got one drug replacing the other, you okay. know, and, and he, he's been struggling with that for a while as well. Okay, well, we can help him. Yeah. Jason can help him. <laughs> yeah, we're in the process right now, actually. Very I was just talking to him today. Awesome. So you and your dad both at different times went through different rehab programs. Mm-hmm. How many rehab programs did you go through before you finally tried Narconon? I myself went through three other rehabs. Okay. Um, they were all 12-step faith-based programs. Uh, none of them were over 28 days. and Because that's all insurance that's all, will pay that's for. All the, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So what, <laughs> once the insurance would run out, you're pretty much out of there, regardless of whether or not you're you're better, you're doing worse, you know? So, so what they'll do when you get there, actually, is they'll put you on a methadone maintenance or suboxone maintenance, depending if you're coming off opiates. Right. And then they'll give you stuff to help you sleep, such as Seroquel or Trazodone, tranquilizers, things like that. And that was my biggest problem. I would go to these rehabs, I would get put on some kind of maintenance program, and then I would leave the rehab on maintenance or leave the rehab freshly off maintenance with no tools to really like cope with anything that had happened. Right. Right. So they substitute one drug for another. And then when insurance can't pay anymore, you don't get that drug either. Exactly. So you're basically just off. Mm-hmm. How did you, did your dad find Narconon first? Uh, yeah, my, actually, well, my grandma, um, she, she had been the one that was kind of like helping us find treatment and she had done it numerous times and she figured it wasn't working. You know what I mean? Right. We were going to these programs and it wasn't working. So she started doing research and she started talking to people and she found Narconon and she found out that Narconon had a drug free withdrawal and had a sauna program, right. where, which like two main things that no other rehab she had looked at had. Right. And I, I mean, the most important part really was for me was going through that drug free withdrawal. You right. know what I mean? Like that's like the first big step. Right. Like every part of the program is vital, but going through the drug free withdrawal is what really like makes a difference. Right. You know? And you did the program here in Florida. Yes. At Narcan on Suncoast. Yes. What when you when you started, um, what did you expect was going to happen? Did you think it would just be like another twelve step? When I started, I knew it was different. Um, one thing I expected was that it was going to be more of like a, I figured it would be like a hospital setting. You know what I mean? With like patients and and like bars on the windows, and you can't go outside of your room, and just you know, kind of just like everybody sitting around in one day room all day waiting for their meds to come around and stuff like that. Right. I I knew they had a drug free withdrawal, but I figured once you were out of withdrawal, they probably would just give you some kind of tranquilizer, and you everyone would sit around and go to group all day. You know, okay. I didn't really expect it to be like it was. And one of the biggest things too was the staff. You know, when you're when you're in twelve step programs and you're in these twenty uh, eight day programs, a lot of the people you work with who are 
counselors or, or addiction specialists, not many of them have actually gone through it themselves or have had personal experience, you know? And right. Narcanon, a lot of the people you work with have either been through the program or been through multiple programs. Right. And they've dealt with addiction themselves. And I think that's a huge thing. I think yeah. it's absolutely huge. I, ha- I have never been addicted. I've never gone through the program. So if I'm sitting here and I'm trying to tell you and handle you on it, you would just look at me and go, she has no idea what she's talking about. Do you know what I mean? Which is why, which is why I talk to Jason every week, because he does know what it's like. Yeah. You know, he understands it. I do this because I don't want another 11-year-old to get prescribed drugs. <laughs> yeah. It's a good thing this isn't a video. That's all I can say. But, you know, that's why I do it. But I think the fact that there are guys like Jason and the other staff at Narcan on Suncoast who have been through it, they know what you're going through. So... Mm-hmm. You're in withdrawal, you're sick, you're in pain, they know how to help you with that. Yeah, and that that's what makes a big difference too. You know, when you're when you're with somebody all day long and you're going through it and you're sick and you're in pain and they have a personal reality that they can share with you on it where they're like, "Look, man, I've been through it like I and I'm doing good now." You know what I mean? It only gets better. This is the last time you're going to have to do this. Right. Like you get through this now and you're never going to have to do it again. Right. And it, it, with me especially it was like my problem is I would sit I whenever I try to do it at home, I would sit in my room and I would like introvert and I really wouldn't I wouldn't like ever get out of my own mind. I would just think about how bad it was and just focus on how long it was going to be. And I, I would never make it because I would just get to a point where I would give in and I would go use or something would happen where I I would go substitute whatever drug for something else. And you're just distracting yourself from it and prolonging it. Right. In drug free withdrawal, they do, you know, a series of, of assists and they kind of like help with like your physical pain. And then when you get like the mental anxiety and you really start stressing out over everything, they, they do the location. And they kind of just like distract you from everything that's going on. And this way, you know, you're not you're not stuck. You're not just like stuck in your own mind, just trying to deal with it on your own. Exactly. Because there's 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 three different aspects of withdrawal is my understanding. You have the physical. And for that, Narconon gives you vitamins and minerals and the calcium magnesium formula CalMag to help the body deal with it. But then there's the mental and then there's the spiritual addiction that you've been going through. And like, how do you address that? And so then there's the assists that help you stay in communication with your body while it's going through all this stuff. And then the locational, which also then takes your attention off the body Mm -hmm. while you're going through it. And so I think that you know, when when all that's being done is just substituting one drug for another, it's it may be addressing the body part of it, but that's it. You know, yeah. it's not addressing the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So anyway. And okay, I mean, then. like I've had through throughout my addiction, I've had problems that I had never confronted before. You know what I mean? Stuff right. in my past, stuff with my family. And I'd been in multiple rehabs and I'd been on Suboxone maintenance. And there was never a point in time when anybody wanted to figure out why I was doing what I was doing. Right. You know, they, they knew I was doing heroin and they just said, well, you're going to take this and you're going to be better or you're going to stay away from it and that's going to fix it. Nobody wanted to actually figure out why it was happening. Right. Exactly. And I think one of the one of the key approaches uh, that Narconon has is that drugs are not the problem. Drugs are the solution to a problem and you have to address that problem. But even before then, then you have have the sauna detox tell me what that was like for you that for me was like the game changer you know because when i when i had first gotten out of withdrawal 
I was doing much better, but I mean, my sleep, like my sleep was a little iffy. I didn't have much energy, you know? And at, at that point I just accepted like, this is how I'm going to be now. You know, I did, I did this much drugs and now I'm probably not going to be able to sleep the rest of my life and I'm going to have anxiety, you know? And, and once I got in sauna, it was maybe, um, a week and a half, maybe two weeks and I was sleeping, I was eating, I had my full energy back. You know what I mean? You, wow. you, you just wake up in the morning feeling good. Wow. That's awesome. That's because that's the first other than the drug free withdrawal. That's I think one of the first most important points about Narcanon is that a lot of there's research out there and there's more and more evidence coming up that the drugs do actually lodge in the fatty, fatty tissues of the body. But most rehab programs don't address that. Oh yeah. And they don't they don't even look at that and the point is if you don't address that, then the cravings never go away. Yeah. They don't go away because the minute you feel a little bit good and start exercising or moving around, then the drug cravings come right back because the fat breaks down into the body. Yeah. When I when I had coming off uh, I came off Suboxone in the past. And I, I felt, I felt the way I did when I first got out of withdrawal, you know, not sleeping, not eating. I was like that for a month. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? It was, it was about a month, maybe more. And I still felt like that. I didn't have any energy. I couldn't move. And the sauna really speeds up the process. You know what I mean? You don't have to like sit around dreading each day. Like, oh man, I got to get up again and I got to go through this. It, it, It really speeds it up. And it got me to a point where even when, even when I had been a a drug free for about maybe, I think it was three months. That was the longest period of time I had from the time I started using. Even then I still had anxiety. I was depressed, you know, like there was all these other underlying issues that never got handled. Right. So with Narcanon, you know, you go in with a problem and they take it one step at a time. It's not like they say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to handle all your problems right now. We're going to do, you know, it's step by step. So you go in and you handle the first aspect of it you know your withdrawal once you're physically good and you can get up and get in sauna then they get they get the drugs out of you you know and 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 that's that's really what's important because if you have if you have all those drugs lingering in your fat tissue it just kind of it makes you slowly release them and you're not really quite getting rid of all of them right right and you run the risk of having a craving and then going back and taking them again yeah definitely Awesome. So then after the sauna, then you do what the objectives? Is that what comes next? Yes, objectives. Um, Objectives for me was great because, uh, you know, I had a problem with like focusing on the past a lot. And a lot of what was going on with me was I would sit and just be stuck thinking about things I'd done and like the things that brought me to rehab and all the stuff I'd done to my family. And, you know, you get to objectives and first you get in there and it's a little weird and you don't really know what to expect. <laughs> but then once you really get, get going through it, you, you get a lot out of it. I mean, your wins and gains are amazing. I've seen I've seen people go in there and come out completely changed. You know what I mean? People yep. who go in angry and frustrated and anxious and then they come out almost a different person. Right. I actually, um, I ran multiple people through objectives in my program. I, I think I did four people ran all the way through objectives. And wow. th- now what I'm looking to do at Narcanon through the senior student program and staff training is be an objectives course room supervisor. Wow. That's, that's my awesome. Goal, so. That's awesome. So you got a lot out of it yourself. Yeah. And then yeah. you helped others. I, th- mm-hmm. I think you know, helping others do something like that is just amazing because you, you, my experience has been when I've done something like that is that I feel as good as they do, Mm -hmm. you know, from a different viewpoint kind of. And then after the objectives, then you do the life skills courses. And that's when you kind of get to confront some of the problems that you had that 
drugs became the solution for. So tell me what that was like. Yeah, that, yeah, see that, I, at first I didn't know what to expect. I went into it and I figured, you know, maybe I'll call a couple people, tell them I don't do drugs anymore and that'll be it. But they actually get into the root of your problems. They, they break it down to what you were doing, why you were doing it. Um, one of the biggest things for me was, you know, recognizing the people in my life that were antisocial or social or suppressive. And and, and a big part of that too, is you have these people in your life that you've been close with for a long time, but sometimes you really need to sit back and analyze what's going on right? to realize that maybe they're not the best for you. Yep. And another part of that is it's tough sometimes, but I mean, when you actually talk to them and you, and you break it down and you, you look at what's been going on since you've known them, it's, it's almost plain as day sometimes that that they've been holding you back or they've just been a negative influence in your life. So after, so, okay. So then after you've spotted, and this is a funny, I have a funny term for these people. I call them toxic people. I'm going to do a little side thing here. There's a great singer songwriter. His name is Steven Schwartz and he wrote, he wrote the music and or the lyrics to Wicked, the musical Wicked. And I was researching him one day because I love his music. And he has a song called Toxic People. And it is classic about the people you do not want in your life. Okay, mm-hmm. good. So now you've spotted those people and you've gotten rid of them. Okay, carry on, Christian. Okay, so <laughs> the, the next part you'd move on to is uh, a section where you kind of recognize like things you've done that like maybe you got guilt over or, or maybe you feel weren't weren't right. And, and generally, there are things that you know you shouldn't be doing. And over time, I mean, especially in drug use, you... you you're going to be doing things that, that add up over time. You know, like you're going to be doing things that aren't the best or aren't the most ethical choices. So what what they help you do is kind of like get all that guilt and shame like off your chest. It, right. it, over time, it builds up. So when you actually sit down and start recognizing like things you've done or things you things that maybe you've done to other people and and even you know what I mean it could it can go as far back as when you're a kid you know it, right. it, it could be anything right and you, you kind of get like a release you you feel a lot better it, you, you it's a little anxious you know what I mean thinking about those things oh, yeah. but when it, when it, when it's done and over with, you definitely feel a lot better. Yeah, because you think, I can't tell that one. If I tell that one, everybody's going to hate me. Everybody's going to think less of me, exactly. you know. But there, you know, there's this new thing that goes around like, no judging, no judging. But there really isn't judgment yeah. on it in Arcanon because you get to the point where if you don't fully come clean, mm-hmm. you're you're not going to get better. Yeah. So you kind of have to do that. Yeah. So. And you know, you're, you're doing it for yourself. Right. And these people just want the best for you. So exactly. they, they, they work with, they work in treatment and they work in drug abuse and you're not going to tell them anything that they haven't already heard or, or they don't already know some, someone else. So it's like, you, you can say anything, you know what I mean? Right. Anything you say, it, as long as, as long as you're getting like that stress off your chest and that, and that guilt, it, it's completely fine. I think that's awesome because I think, you know, that's that's one of the underlying things that I think once you move down the road of addiction and you've, you know, you've lied and you've cheated and you've stolen or what have you, it becomes easier to do that because you've done it and you didn't, you know, lightning didn't strike you. Okay, well, then I can do it again. Mm-hmm. And so then I think you get into a program like this where you can really take a look at all of that and know that you don't have to do that anymore. Yeah. You know, you don't have to make those choices anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, after... uh 
after you're done with it, you just have like a general sense of of not being able to like focus on them all the time. You know, when, before you go in and actually like take responsibility for all that stuff, uh-huh. you, you find yourself kind of focusing on things you've done in the past and maybe some things you feel guilty over. But by the time it's over, a lot of that is gone and past. Right. And you can just kind of relax and you're, you're not like really like caught up on it anymore. Right. Exactly. So have you... Um so you finished last week? Yes. Have you talked to your grandmother? Yes, I have. And is she happy? Yes, she's very happy. I actually just saw her uh, yesterday. She just came to visit. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. It must be such a relief. Yeah, you know, and she she's happy because she knows she knows that I'm I'm staying for the senior student program, right. and she knows I'm I'm actually going to be helping people, which is like a big thing for me too. You know, I. I want to be able to help people because I had been through so many treatment programs. I had gone through it myself. I ended up in jail. And by the time I finally got to Narconon, I was, I had given up on the idea of getting better. You know what I mean? You, you, after a while, you just kind of, you kind of give up. You say like, this is it. Like I'm a drug addict. This is how it's going to be. And you get to a place like Narconon where everybody there has struggled. You know what I mean? Most of the staff have struggled with it. And they're all sharing their their ex- personal experience with you, and that's what makes a huge difference, you know. Yeah. And and I just want to be able to give back and do that for someone else, you know. If I have somebody new who comes in and they're they've been to multiple programs and they've given up on the whole idea too, I want to be that one person that can tell them, hey, look, like I've been there, I went through it, and now I'm doing good. I think that's awesome, and I think you know, and Jason and I have talked about the fact that you know you go through a program that is purported to work like a 12-step program. And once again, I'm not saying it doesn't work for some people because it does, Mm -hmm. but there's a large percentage of people it doesn't work for. And if that is is a solution to to your addiction and it doesn't work for you, where do you end up with that? I mean, it's got to be just like, I can't be fixed. There's Mm -hmm. something wrong with me, which of course is not the case, Mm -hmm. which is one of the things Jason's pointed out. It's like, there's nothing wrong with you when Mm -hmm. you come in. It's you've made some bad choices. Yeah. You know, and I just think the one thing we try and do over and over and over again with this podcast is for people like you Mm -hmm. who have been through other rehab programs and who get to the point. I mean, Jason told me that they finally told him he was a throwaway addict and that just breaks my heart. I just can't, I can't even, I I can't even get that concept without getting upset about it because, you know, you go to these rehab places for help Mm -hmm. and you don't get it. Yeah, Yeah. And so you don't think they're bad people, so what are you going to end up with? You end up with a viewpoint, it's me, I just can't be helped, or I can't yeah. be fixed, you and know? With the 12-step programs, you know, you go in and they want you to basically admit, okay, I'm powerless over my addiction. That's one point they try to get it across to everybody. You have a disease. And you have a disease, and this is what you're stuck with. But there are ways you can you can deal with it, but as long as you admit you have a disease and you're powerless, then then you'll be able to deal with it, which I don't believe, you know, I've... I've seen a lot of people go through the program, and I mean, it works for some people, but like I've seen a lot of people go through it and just go right back to drugs, and if you don't address what's going on and why it's happening, you can't really expect to, to completely get over your problems. You need to find like the underlying reasons why you're using drugs, where it all started. You exactly know? right. And, and, if, it, and if you have the viewpoint that it's a disease, well, it can't be cured, so I'm always going to be sick, so what's the point? Why stop? Yeah, exactly. You know, I can't be fixed anyway. If and they they have the twelve step meetings and the NA and the AA and I mean I've been to them. I, I've done quite a bit, but after a while, you you go to enough of them 
And it's almost depressing, you know? And I mean, it works for some people. And some people stay clean for years going to those meetings. But I go in and you you, you listen to people kind of just tell tell stories and just it, it re-stimulates you. And it makes you just think about, like, past events. And it gets to a point where you go in and it's almost depressing. It makes you want to use just being there. <laughs> right. I can, I, can, I can see that. So you're going to work at Narcanon Suncoast. How old are you now? I am 22. 22. Wow. So young. When you tell me you started on drugs at 11, it's just like, oh, it breaks my heart. <laughs> Jason seen me interviewed Derek. I interviewed Derek and Derek tried to commit suicide. And I'm just like, ah! yeah. You know. Anyway, so that's good. I'm I'm glad. You know, I, I'm young and I got a lot, a lot left. You know, I got a yep. lot of life left in me and I'm not trying to spend it just doing the same thing I've been doing. I'm not, you know, time just flies by when you're, when you're doing heroin and you're running around and you're committing crime, it, you're not really living your life. You're living day to day. Um, you're just kind of like you're in the moment and you're doing whatever you can to survive at that moment. And you're not really thinking about the future. You don't have any goals, you know, like my, my biggest thing was like, I, I would work here and there and I, I had worked some pretty good jobs where I, I, I made good money, but it was like, it wasn't satisfying. You know, I, I worked in construction and I worked in heating and air conditioning and I wasn't, I wasn't happy. You know, I was making good money and I was supporting myself, but I just wasn't happy doing what I was doing. I, I kept going back to drugs and just like unhealthy relationships. And now, now that I'm in Narconon and I'm doing so well, it's like, I feel that I can actually make a difference and help people by staying here. And that's that's one of the main reasons why I want to stay. I think that's awesome. When did you start the program? I started the program in June. Well, very well done you. Thank you. I don't think it's an I don't think for anybody listening, I don't think Narcanon is necessarily an easy program, but I don't think it should be particularly easy. The point is that it's doable and there is a result that come you come out the other end and you are drug free and you've confronted those problems for which drugs became the solution and ready to live your life. Yeah. And I mean, even when you get out of the program and you're done, you'll stay in contact with yes. people from Narconon. I mean, Jason here, he calls our graduates like constantly and just checks in, sees how they're doing, you know, make sure everything's all right. And that's like a big part of it. You know, the general level of care they have for right. the people that come there. Right. And I think I think that's a huge point too. Where was I? I was somewhere and I was talking about Narcanon and you know, nobody's getting rich off of Narcanon. Narcanon is people who care about addiction and helping people get off drugs and yeah. helping the students that come in. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's what I say, nobody's getting rich off of it. So these rehab programs or these sober houses or whatever that are just in it for the buck. It ain't going to work. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're, you know, and that's the worst part is they'll, as soon as your insurance is, is out, they'll just, they'll just send you home. You know, they, they're not worried about how you're doing. They don't do any kind of like after your program contacting you, nothing like that. It's, it's once you're done, you're done. You go home. If you, you mess up again and you're using, they'll take you back, but maybe for another 28 days, if that. Yeah. But I think, and I think part of the part of the reason why that happens is because they know they don't have a solution. Mm -hmm. I think truthfully, they know that just substituting one drug for another is not going to work, but they don't have another solution, which is why Christian, we do this every week because there is an alternative rehab program called Narcanon. Yeah. 
and more and more people need to know about it. It needs to become not the alternative. It needs to become the standard of care. Yeah. Because Narconon's got a 75% success rate. Mm -hmm. There is no other program out there that has that. Oh, None. Anywhere. And so there you go. Well, thank you for coming on today. Thank you. I'm going to pause it while I put Jason back on. And good luck with working at Narconon. You'll be great. Yeah. So something very interesting that Christian brought up was the fact that when he was doing opiates, eventually the pills ran out. And then you brought up, well, where were you living? Because in Florida, they shut all the pill mills down. Well, I was wondering if that was why the 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 availability of opiates dried up. That's exactly why. Okay. Because a lot of people, what people don't realize, it wasn't just like people went to pill mills in Florida for use of the drugs to stay in Florida. Oh, no, no, no. People came from out of the state. Oh, I know. To come to Florida, go to the pill mills, get all their drugs, and then go back to wherever they came from and then widely distribute them. And so that's why at some point, at one point in time, there was tons of pills yep. everywhere. Oh. And then the pills dried up and the pill mills closed and people went to heroin. Oh, yeah. I mean, Florida was number one. Yeah. In oh, pill yeah. mills. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember I had a knee surgery done in 2004. I think it was, I think it was 2004. They just threw pain meds at me. And... um. I remember my dad told me that the orthopedic surgeon had said to him, I think your son has a problem, but he wouldn't, he didn't never stop prescribing them to me. Right. Great. It, That's I, I kept, I kept getting Percocet. Yeah. And he, my, I didn't even know this, that the doctor told my dad at some point, like, I think your son's a drug addict. My dad's like, yeah, no kidding. Why do you keep giving him medication? Yeah. And he, the doctor would give him to me. I took, I think I took pain meds for two months after a pretty routine knee surgery. Like an arthroscopic surgery is not a big deal. It's yeah. not like they cut my whole knee open. So yeah. it just, that's what it was back then. That's right. why the epidemic well, spread back, the way it not did. Not even back then, Jason, because I mean, when I, I told you when I was in LA, oh, right. my back was hurting me. That's it was right. it Norco? What was it? Norco. Norco. Right. They give me Norco. My daughter-in-law's had, had surgery, a C-section. They give her Norco. Right. I think they sent her home with Norco, but she never took it once she got home. She just... Took, I think Advil or whatever. Yeah, for but, those of you who don't know what Norco is, it's it's ten milligram hydrocodone pills. It's heavy duty. It's, it's, it's a pretty, heavy duty painkiller. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Yeah, I mean, if you're not used to opiates, it will definitely get you messed up. There you go. And it gets you messed up enough to where you realize you like opiates, and then have you continue down the rabbit hole. Yeah, and there and there was a I, there was an HBO special I talked about before called "Warning: This Drug Can Kill You," and there was a woman who had started on painkillers after, I think, her second or third C-section. And that was kind of how she went down that road and yeah. eventually died. Yeah, they're the, and, and C-section patients are some of the most commonly overprescribed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. patients when it comes to opiates, where they, they were saying, you know, it was directly proportional with how many pills they would go home with, with how many they'd actually take. And then some would never take any. Right. And so, but it was weird because women were going home after C-section with 30 hydrocodone pills. Yeah. That's not necessary. No. And there's lots of people who can get through it with ibuprofen. My dad's a big proponent of the ibuprofen thing. He's like, most pain is manageable with non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Right. Most pain. That's what my daughter-in-law took. She didn't go home and take Norco. No. I mean, most most opiates were designed for end-of-life pain. Exactly. I mean, like Oxycontin was designed for end-of-life pain. Right. And terminal illness. Right. It was not designed for my bad back. Yeah. Or the cramp in my thigh, <laughs> exactly. or my broken ankle, or what that you know what whatever else they decided to give it to you for. They've actually prescribed it for depression. I know. It, that's sick. I know. 
I know. That's a whole other whole other subject. Yeah. We could be here another hour oh, talking God. about that, Jason. Uh, it makes me so angry. I start sweating. I know. The other thing that Christian brought up was, was very interesting was like his first drug was an ADHD medication, kind of like mine. Right. And what that does is it sets you up. Drug dependency. It sets up children with the drug-dependent attitude or with the attitude that drugs are going to solve some sort of problem. Right. But they gave it to him, they, he said, because he was misbehaving. Not, right. be, not, But that wasn't because he couldn't pay attention. Right. But because he was just like tearing, tearing the classroom up right. or chasing the girls around or, you know, being an 11-year-old Had kid. Had there been drugs, I probably, they probably would have told my parents to put me on it because I like to talk in class. And the teachers didn't want me to talk in class. And she wrote me up, my first grade teacher, because I talked in class. You know they would have said something like, oh, you need to try her on Ritalin or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, he was prescribed medication for behavior that the teachers, that made their life harder. Exactly. So they just drugged him. Exactly. That's what they did to a lot of kids. Rather than I mean, finding out what the real source of it is, like something they don't understand. Right. Or, or they're, you're, they're moving too slow, or you're moving too slow or too fast, or what have right. you. And your, your folks had gotten divorced, right? Yeah, so there you yeah. go. I mean, yeah. he had a situation going on at home that probably caused a bit of his acting out. And instead of really just dealing with that, you know, they put him on drugs and then we dealt with that at right. Narconon. Right. And which is fine. That's And that's okay. I'm willing to take that stance. I'm willing to be part of that that handles, you know, people's issues, even though they should have been handled years ago by Different people that could have told, caused a person to completely avoid drug addiction, but you know, I'm happy to do it. Of course, because you are. otherwise it's like who, yeah. no one, no, well, no one, who else is going to do it? No one that's else what, is going. That's to. what you do, but that is the same mentality that you were talking about before. Is that we have somewhat of a mentality in this country? If there's something wrong with it, give it a pill, and the pill will fix it. Yeah, the pill you know, if you're my son and you're acting up. We need to talk about it and we need to work out some kind of a solution for that. The thought that I would give you a pill to calm you down and quiet you down is so abhorrent to me. I can't, it's, it's hard for me to even imagine, but I know that parents who don't have any tools or don't think they have any tools, I guess it becomes some kind of a solution for them as well. Well, it's lazy parenting and late and lazy school teaching because you have school teachers, you have parents that have a kid that has issues that they don't necessarily want to put forth a ton of effort to try and handle when they can just give him a pill and quiet him down. He goes to, goes and shuts up or sits in the corner, watches, zones out on TV, and it's like, wow. Yeah. That makes my life way easier. Exactly. That's what the parents think. That's what the teachers think. So parents listening, if you think that this is an easy solution for you to just put your kid on drugs, well, if you're willing to have them move further on in life and become heroin addicts and run run the risk of overdose and everything else that goes along with addiction, hey, go for it. Wow, that's heavy. Yeah, it is heavy, that's but heavy. it's true. I mean, they need to look at that. It's not, it. you know. Well, you have to think of the big picture. Yep. A lot of people do things not understanding what the consequences will be. Yeah, well, I mean, that's I, the whole point that we talk about this. If though, I had known the know, consequences like, of taking my first line of cocaine, you I never have would have taken it. Right. If I had known what the consequences would be of taking my first hydrocodone pill, I never would have taken it. Right. And it's like, we have to think outside the box. You know, my parents never would have put me on ADHD medication knowing what would transpire, right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, a, all, but we, a doctor says it's okay, and you assume that it's okay, right? And it, which also comes back to the point that you have to take responsibility for your own health and for, you know, what you do with your body. 
you can't just take the word of a doctor and say, oh, the doctor said it was okay, so I'm just going to do it. I mean, it just, you can't, you can't do that. And and that comes back to education, which we've talked about. Yeah. You know, and the fact that, the fact that I didn't do LSD because somebody told me my babies might be deformed. Why would I do that? Why would I want that? I mean, I was young. I wasn't going to have babies for a while, but why would I want to run that risk? You wouldn't. I didn't. It's a calculated risk. I couldn't think with it. You know, it was like that. So there you go. If you think about it, drug users make a calculated, take a calculated risk every single time they get high. That's right. Because they risk, you know, they absolutely risk death. Exactly. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what you've gotten. You never know what you didn't get. And Especially now. It's a game of Russian roulette. That's right. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's responsibility that returns a person back to Back or gets a person back from the insanity of drug addiction. That's right. And it's responsibility. Right. And it's taking responsibility for your life. That's right. And that's something that a lot of people never get a chance to do. Right. And so here we are, week after week, trying to instill a little bit of responsibility in the people that are listening to this. Exactly. And I hope everybody listening enjoyed Christian's story because I think it's a good story. And we'll tell more stories like that. And I've got people coming up that we're going to interview that are going to give kind of a different take on this whole subject and and when i don't have somebody to interview then it'll be jason and i it'll be jason and i just just talking (laughs) we'll just talk and talk and talk and talk everyone's ear off but at least we're giving very good information absolutely we're doing a good service here absolutely so we'll talk again next week until next week johnny okay bye-bye you have been listening to the addiction podcast point of no return for more information call 877-339-3324 or visit www.narcononsuncoast.org narconon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of l ron hubbard 